Our first reading is from Genesis chapter 37, and we're reading verses 1 to 11. It's on page 41 in the Bibles beside you or on the screens. Genesis chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, Listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of corn out in the field, when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream, and this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading can be found on page 1000. 177 of the Bibles beside you and is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, the first four verses. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let me just get my microphone turned on. I was uh, recently dropping my mother-in-law uh, off uh, back at home and I drove my car into her one-way road. And as I swung my car in to kind of get nearer to her house and drop her off, my manoeuvre caught the attention 
of a policeman who just happened to be walking by at the wrong point in time, or the right point in time. And the officer uh, approached me, my palms got sweaty, um, and kind of sheepishly, I kind of sunk into my seat. Heart rate increased, and I wound down the window. The officer went on to point out the two glaring no-entry signs into her road and put me right in my place. I had nowhere to, to hide, caught red-handed. And I couldn't have been more penitent at that moment. Graciously, the officer was lenient towards me and let me go with just a warning, but before asking for my name. And I said, the Reverend Michael Duff of St Jude's Church, <laughs> Southsea. Um, and, and, and he let me go. <laughs> but the issue that we have before us uh, this morning is this. When a danger has been brought to your attention by someone in authority over you, how do we respond? How do you respond? Actually, I'm sure you'll be glad to know that I no longer drive down one-way streets. It's a very stupid thing to do. But how do we respond to authority? Because in the family home, that's where we learn, don't we, either to listen to authority or to reject it, or to reject it. So when I'm on the motorway and I'm driving my car, I know two driving illustrations back to back, it's terrible. When I'm driving my car and Tyler, my, uh, my oldest boy, is sat behind me, he's always looking at the speedo. He wants to see how fast I'm going and he'll say, Dad, Dad, how fast do you go? He knows the speed limit and so do I. I have the opportunity in that moment to demonstrate to him either I'm a man under authority or I'm not. And that's a real challenge for me on how I drive. And the Christian here this morning knows what it's like to be under the authority for we sit under the Word of God. We build our lives upon the Word of God and we seek to obey the Word of God in how we live and we battle to do that. And so the challenge, the question for all of us here this morning is where in my life Am I refusing to obey the word of God? It's tragic, isn't it, to hear of committed Christians, even to the point of their death, refusing to be reconciled to a family member, to a parent, to a sibling. It's tragic to see a Christian father purely leaving their children's spiritual health and growth purely in the hands of their Sunday school teachers and leaders. It's tragic to see Christians much admired in church, being real scoundrels in the workplace, known as deceitful and skivers. Such things do terrible disservice to the gospel of Jesus. I don't know your thoughts on this, but we're thinking on Thursday evening at Discipleship Explored, uh, the group that I was in seemed to conclude, it's fairly easy to be a Christian in church. This is quite an easy place to be a Christian. It's much harder to be a Christian out in the world. But the hardest place of all to be a Christian is in the home, isn't it? When the mask comes off and kind of our graces uh, go down. If your nearest and dearest was to be asked to come up here and kind of give a testimony um, about your week, what have you been like to live with this week? Is there any difference between who we are in public to who we are in private? Do life and lip match up 
if I can put it like that. Can I encourage all of us, we need to lower down the window, spiritually speaking, and hear from the authorities afresh uh, on this subject. For what are these verses in Ephesians chapter 6? What do they teach us about Christian discipleship? And what does it say about being authentically Christian? If you could open up your Bibles to page 1177, that'd be really helpful. And you might say, do you know, I love the book of Ephesians. I love it. Chapter 1, it's amazing. It speaks about being chosen by Christ, being enlightened by Jesus. We love all that. Chapter 2, he's brought us from death to life with him. It's amazing. From wrath to rescue through the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ on the cross in our place. Chapter 3, there's that lovely phrase, isn't there? We see how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. We love all that. And then comes the crunch in chapter 5, verse 8. We're called to live it out. We're called to live as children of light. There's a sudden kind of gear change here in the text, and we're jolted with the challenge of chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Perhaps there's some trepidation as we approach these next coming verses. We know what they're going to say. It's easy to live with Jesus when it's comfortable. But when it's uncomfortable, actually, we want to keep that window firmly up and say no to the authority. For there's some areas in our lives, in my life, at times, where we say, no, that's just off limits. I just want to keep Jesus at an arm's length in my life. So, chapter 5, verse 22. Wives can refuse to submit to their husbands. And verse 24. Husbands, at 5.25, can refuse to lay down their lives for their wives as Christ laid down his life for the church. Children, 6 verse 1, can refuse to obey their parents. And fathers, in chapter 6 verse 4, can refuse to teach their children. And so it goes on. Now we can't just make up our own rules here at this point. The command of scripture is very clear, 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's the call. So how are we responding to authority? We're smack bang in the middle of a sermon series, as Mike was saying. We're thinking about living out the Christian life through all stages of life. And today we're thinking about teenage trials. And it could be argued that of recent years, there's, there's a new phenomenon has swept through into our culture. That is the idea that we can put off adulthood for as long as possible. That's what young people want to do, isn't it? They want to put it off for as long as possible and enjoy perpetual childhood and shirk all responsibilities. It's a new thing. And for centuries, in the Bible, there have been two camps, either your children or your adults. You're either dependent or you're independent and you're living things out. And the category of teenagehood has kind of slipped in uh, without us noticing. And what does the Bible say about this phenomenon? Well, chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. To the teenager or to the young person here this morning, Christian parents are God's gift to you. They're God's gift to you. They teach us how to live under authority and to move from teenagehood into adulthood as we learn to obey their authority. And the result or the fruit from them is this. 
no matter what age we reach, no matter what stage we're in in life or our parents are in in life, we're to honour them. Look at verse 2. Honour your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. When we consider the Ten Commandments, the first Ten Commandments speak all about God and our duty to God. So that we have no other God before him. We're not to worship any idols. We're not to misuse God's name. We're to keep the Sabbath holy and we're to honour our father and our mother. That's our duty to God, vertically speaking. Therefore, to honour our parents is to live out our duty towards God. That's what it is. And what does that do? Well, it reflects God's rule over us, out to the world around us. So this is the 101, of, uh, if, if you like, of parenting. That is, we're to teach our children to submit to authority. That's what we're to do, first and foremost, for our children as they grow up. That means we rightly discipline disobedience. We're not to be harsh with them. Children will be children. Teenagers will be teenagers. I'm yet to experience that in my household. Uh, so let me talk a little bit about children. So they will break stuff. And that's going to go with the territory. They will get giddy and they're going to raise their voices and they're going to be hormonal and we're going to be firefighting and stuff will go wrong. And when they grow up, they will crash the car. Sorry about that, Dad. If he listens on the tape. Uh, and a football or two may smash the window. Sorry, Sandown High School. Um, and, and to this day, I'm yet to confirm which one of my two older children actually left the bathroom taps on and turned our downstairs light in the, in, in the dining room into a power shower as we were eating our dinner. Uh, not yet sure which one did that yet. So firefighting goes with the territory of parenting. But when it comes to disobedience, that's the moment in which we're going to come down quite hard on our kids. In Romans chapter 1, it paints this picture of a, a graphic society under the judgment of God, under the wrath of God. And it's a society being destroyed, a society who've turned away from God. And smack bang in the middle of all this godlessness and wickedness, in Romans chapter 1 verse 30, is people who disobey their parents. Isn't that amazing? Right, right in the middle of that society. And for the young person hearing this, this can be difficult, it can be hard. Because they're easy, they're, they're kind of eager to find their way, aren't they? When you're a teenager, that's what you want to do. You want to find your way through life. You want to discover yourself and spread your wings. And I'm sure you can remember back to some of the teenage trials that you had. I mean, what were you like to live with as a teenager? I was a nightmare. It was awful for my parents. And I remember the only thing at times that ever stood in my way was my mum and dad. They were the ones who stood in my way. And actually, I'm grateful for many of the times that they did that. But most of the time when I was a teenager, I just wanted to get rid of them. Uh, I didn't want them uh, around so I could just get on and do things my own way and how I wanted to do it. And we dare even ask them, why? Why should I obey you in this? But for the child of God in the room this morning, seeking to obey the eternal Father's words, well, we're to take it seriously. If we believe the gospel of Jesus, if we get this, what's said here in Ephesians 6, we will want to obey. Well, why? 
Why will we want to honour our father and our mother? Verse 2. It's, it's the first commandment with a promise. Do we see that as we look down? Now, why is that even a good thing? Why is that a good thing? Would you flick back with me to page 185 in your Bibles, to Deuteronomy chapter 5, page 185. Keep one finger in Ephesians, we're going to come back there. Deuteronomy chapter 5, uh, page 185, and on the top left of that page, we're going to look at verse 16. And it says this, Honour your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live long and that it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Did you catch that? Why should you submit to your parents and obey them? Well, they're going to give you the key to living in the promised land. That's what they're going to do. Children, obey your parents, honour them, because then you can spend all eternity with Christ. That's amazing. What a great promise. Obey them because your souls are at stake here. Children, obey your parents because they're going to show you the way into the land flowing with milk and honey. They're going to show you the way to get into the new creation, uh, to be with God forever. Well, what's the message there to hear? And what's the manner in which they're to hear it? Well, chapter 6, verse 4, do we see that down there uh, on the right-hand side of the page? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The word for Lord here is Yahweh. That's the covenant name of God. God's revealed his name. It's the promise-making God of the Bible, the one who's rescued them. It's a little bit like the queen coming up to you and saying, oh, do call me Elizabeth. It's a real privilege here. And we're to love this God. Why? Well, because he's rescued you. That's what he's done for us. He's rescued us. And what's the manner the children are to have this teaching imparted? Do we see that? Verse 6. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. That's the manner. Children, obey, because from the lips of your parents, you're going to hear the gospel. You're going to hear the good news about Jesus. You're going to hear the mighty acts that Yahweh's done, the rescue of his people from Egypt. You're going to hear how to live in the land. Uh, you're going to hear about the lamb that was slain so that you wouldn't need to die. It's amazing. So here's the point. When you hear of what Yahweh's done, when you see what he's like, then you'll come to love him. You'll gladly love him. You want to bow down uh, before him with your all, all your heart, soul and strength. It's like the apostle wants to kind of take us to the edge of the universe and just say, look, just peer over. Just look at God. See who he is. Catch a glimpse uh, of who God is and what he's done for you. Look, he's the one who's opened up eternity for you. He's the one who's done that. That's a pretty good motivation, right, for us parents, isn't it? That's a pretty good motivation uh, for us to be teaching our children. Flick back with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Obey so that it may go well with you. Well, this begs the question then, 
Are these children that are being taught to honour and obey you, are they hearing from you the gospel? How are your children doing, spiritually speaking? In 1979, 13% of the whole population of teenagers in Britain went to church. It's amazing, 13%. That's 960,000 teenagers were in church then. Only 9% were doing so 10 years later in 1989. And then again, in 1999, 10 years on, that same group who were surveyed in 1989, it was, it was found that only 49% of those children that were surveyed still go to church 10 years later. Now in, their 20, in the 20 to 29 age group category. Uh, a little over 4% of the population now go to church on a Sunday in Britain. They're shocking statistics. And in the last decade, last two decades, this problem's got worse and worse. And we're now struggling with youth decay in the church. We've got a real youth decay problem. Do you know that for every church that's got a good and flourishing youth group, there are three churches with no youth work going on whatsoever. This is a real privilege to have youth work available for our young people in this church. And how can we kind of combat this decline, this youth decay in our churches? Well, I think our attitude needs to change towards young people. That's one of, the, one of the things. We need to stop seeing them as tomorrow's church and start seeing them as today's church. They are today's church. They're in the church now already. They're here now. And we need to make them, as our younger members of the church, feel welcomed as part of God's family, don't we? We need to make them feel important and valued. And for some of us here, that might mean doing something. That might mean learning some of the names of the young people that came up this morning uh, on the stage. We need to get to know our young people. We need to speak to them. We need to encourage them. We need to help them to hear about Jesus. And do you know what? When we ask them what they've been learning in Sunday school, we'll be surprised at their answers. We'll be surprised at what they can say and what they can teach us about what they've been learning. It's really encouraging. And I think this kind of teenagehood phenomenon has swept into the, our kind of thinking in the church as well. So I think we say that it's really hard for up to 16-year-olds or even up to 18-year-olds to sit in a service on a Sunday morning. We say that. We, we've adopted that attitude. We say it's really hard for our young people to sit in church. That's bonkers. They're sitting with, with, with their wider family. That's what they're doing. We should make these services accessible for our young people. Now, our, our, our kids can cope with really difficult subjects at school, right? They can cope with really difficult and challenging things in the classroom. Why do we expect so little of them in church? Why do we do that? It's a spiritual thing for anybody to sit under the word of God and to be teachable by God. Our Bibles are filled with great examples that we can teach our kids. Uh, Joseph, Samuel, David, Esther, even the kid who bought his packed lunch when they fed 5,000 people. They had pretty incredible stuff that kind of young people have done, recorded in the Bible, that we can be showing to our, to our children and our young people. If we take the Bible seriously, we'll see amazing kind of achievements that our young people 
can do. There's a Romanian vicar and author by the name of uh, Richard Wombrandt. And he told the story of a boy in the persecuted church of Romania. And this boy arrived one day at the gates of the prison. And he came unannounced and he asked to see the commandant of the prison. And the boy was allowed into this man's office and sought his attention so he could speak with him. And he said this, he said, today is Mother's Day. And every year on Mother's Day, I buy my mother a bunch of flowers in the market. But last year on Mother's Day, uh, but, but last year my mother was put in your prison for being a Christian. And she died there. This year, I've got no one to give my flowers to. So I've come here to speak to you today to give you these flowers to take them to your wife. This lad has understood the gospel, hasn't he? He's understood what it means to be a Christian. He's demonstrating a faith in Jesus Christ that can overcome the horror of the world. We can expect deep spirituality from our young people in this church. But how do they get there? How do our young people get there? Well, they get there in the same way that we get there, by the grace of God, by the undeserved favour of the God who's revealed his name to us, Yahweh. And by us parents and church family modelling to our young people God's good, liberating rule in their life. And also in the way that we bring them up. We can show them actually to live under God's authority, to live under God's rule, it's a good thing. It can bring them blessing. It leads to life. So I'll ask that question again. Are our young people hearing the gospel of grace? Are they seeing it lived out by us? And are they, in the words of kind of the McDonald's advert, are they loving it? Are they loving it? Finally, the biggest challenge comes in verse 4. I've been really struggling with this verse. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, don't you know that it's us, ultimately, who are going to be held accountable on that last day for how our children are doing, spiritually speaking? It's a massive task that we have as fathers. We're held responsible for their spiritual welfare. Mums aren't totally off the hook. Kind of verse one tells us that our, our children are to obey both parents, but fathers have the God-given spiritual lead in our homes to be instructing and raising our offspring in the instruction and discipline of the Lord. Are we doing that? Are we impressing the teaching of the Bible on our young people, on our children at home? Are we talking to them about Jesus? Is it natural to talk to them about Jesus at home, around the dinner table, in the morning, over breakfast, when we lie down, when we put them to bed? Are we proclaiming the gospel to them, the ones that are under our care? Dads, are we doing that? Are we living life and lip for the gospel for the sake of our young people and children? And the call here to fathers is not to misuse our God-given authority. We're to get over the illusion that a time's coming in which we're going to have kind of more time to do this. We need to get over that illusion. It's not going to happen. We're not going to be less busy. If things occupy our time. We need to make the most of the time that we have with our kids now. Love is a four-letter word, and it's spelled T-I-M-E. That's what we need to give 
to our children. They need time. That means fathers, verse 4, we're not to exasperate them. The ESV puts it like this. We're not to provoke our children to the point of anger. We're not to goad our children. We're not to be unfair with our children. The mirror passage in Colossians chapter 3 tells us this. Fathers, do not embitter your children lest they be discouraged. Fathers, we can discourage our children so easily with a look, uh, with a word. Instead, verse 4b, we're to bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. That literally means we're to nourish them. Fathers, we're to feed our children lest they be discouraged. So let me come back to that question. How are we responding to authority? I've been massively challenged preparing this talk. But just picture the blueprint for this family that's spoken about here in Ephesians 5 and 6, just for a moment. It's a blueprint for all of us to strive towards. Chapter 5, verse 22. Just imagine this. The wife that lives for the husband. Verse 23 to 28. The husband that leads the home, lays down his life for his wife every single day, like Christ laid down his life for the church. And actually... He lives for her. He lives for her too. Children obedient to their parents. Father being the constant encourager, literally instilling courage uh, to the children. And even in their anger, pointing them to Christ. And not only our children, but also all the children in the family of God. Now what a family, what a picture, what a challenge for all of us this morning. As the old saying goes, the light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. So what does this mean for you? Well, recognition that the home is a hard place, probably the hardest place of all, to live out the Christian faith. It's the place where our selfishness is most visible, uh, where our guards are down, where Satan loves to attack, and the place where, the place where we need to pray more for the spiritual welfare of our family and our children and ask for the grace and mercy of God. A few hours in my house and you'll see that the Lord has so much more to do in my heart and in my tribe. Uh, There's loads left to do. But the Lord's been so gentle with us, so tender, so good, so compassionate, so faithful. And maybe you might even be aware of this teenage phenomenon in your heart right now, refusing to grow up, spiritually speaking. Maybe you can see that in your own life, not wanting to grow up. Perhaps you've got a lack of desire to be changed by the word of God. We need to pray. We need God's grace that we might grow up in the knowledge and instruction of the Lord. Would you do that with me now? Let's pray.